everyone, it's Daz here from Not Another Whiskey Podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart McPherson. Now Stuart McPherson, I had the pleasure of working with him at Edrington for around four or five years, uh, a wee while ago now, and back then as the master of wood for the Macallan, Stuart was responsible for the wood quality and sourcing of casks for, for the Macallan. Did a lot of work of course on, on Highland Park and Glenrothes spent a lot of time over in Spain. And prior to that, he was the Cooperage manager at the Clyde Clyde Cooperage. And prior to that, he was a Cooper. And he has a huge amount of experience from 1979 all the way through to his retirement, which was this year. And not only is he a a great guy, he was a fabulous mentor uh, and he's taught me an awful lot about whiskey over the years and continues to do so, which I'm very, very grateful for. Quite a quite a special job, Stuart. And a lot of people, I was we were just chatting before. So many people won't really have seen a, a, a live cooperage. They won't have been into a cooperage to see what you guys actually do with your hands, you know. No, I mean, I think I mean I joined the industry in 1979, long, long before you were born, Darrell. You know, so oh, it, was only, uh, it was only it was only five years before I was born, Stuart. You know? <laughs> Well, you know, I joined in 79, which was probably, it was coming off the peak, I think, of uh, of one of the peaks of the Scottish whisky industry. So the cooperages were very buoyant. Uh, you know, a lot of distilleries were looking for casks. And that quickly uh, kind of ceased in the early 80s when there was the whisky lakes. Right. But, you know, cooperages were probably not seen as the the luxury part of, of the side of the business. You know, it was very much the working side of it. Predominantly casks were repaired uh, to go back into the industry. So so the general public really wouldn't have access into seeing Cooperage, uh, you know, mm-hmm. actually seeing a Cooperage work. Uh, I mean, it's... Had you, had, you been, had you been in one before you started? No, well, I, I, I ended up, as I say, 1979, I actually had a summer job. I, I wanted to be a PE teacher. I did a lot of athletics, everything else. And I, I was fortunate enough to get a job uh, during my school holidays in a cooperage. Didn't know, uh, you know what they did, anything like that. I had a relation who, who had their own cooperage uh, and then worked for Robertson and Baxter. So, you know, Julie, you know, rolling casks about, loading lorries, everything else. And quite fascinated uh, by... By this craft, uh, which is allegedly the second oldest craft in the world, you know. I'll, so take, I'll, take, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I wasn't around at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just but a bit any, before you. Uh, yeah, for anybody kind of uh, you know listening uh, today's uh, podcast. Yeah. Just for reassurances, though, this is actually farming and agricultural. No, I'm no, sure we would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the. Uh, and then I went back to do my studies. And then I thought, you know what? What a fascinating trade, you know, to see these people actually making casks or repairing casks uh, with their hands, everything else. And, you know, I then inquired about an apprenticeship. And, you know, I think when I look back uh, over these 43 years uh, and that career I've had, did I ever envisage in 1979 having the opportunity to meet you know, so many people, you know, 
here in Scotland and, and internationally as well, who are, are passionate about whiskies. But then uh, kind of educating them about the whole value and influence that actually wood has in, in spirit development is, is another part of it. So it's been, it's been a fascinating career. Yeah, but it's changed a lot. I mean, when you started back in the late 1970s, you were producing casks because you were on the tools. You were a cooper at that point or, a, or an apprenticeship. We, we need yeah. to come on to that. We need to talk a little bit about how long it takes and all that kind of stuff to become a, a cooper technically on paper. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you you were preparing casks for for mainly blends, I suspect. You know, even the, even the casks that went to malt distilleries, that malt whiskey would have been blended into famous grouse, you know, whatever it was that you guys were producing back then. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I served my time at Clayton Preach, who were part of Robertson and Baxter. Uh, and you know, we, we were a commercial cooperage as such. So, yes, you're right. A lot of the casks and the work that we were doing would have been destined for, for green spirit, uh, to be honest with you. So, I mean, it's quite interesting now to see that, that change uh, in, in the market into the consumers who are very much more, you know, now focusing on on single malts but i think i think one of the big things as well back then was the amount of cookers who were in the industry and, and you know in the in the mid 70s there was probably you know 1500 cookers right uh, you, within scotland uh, and and then very quickly thereafter in the early 80s that number then diminished down to you know probably a couple of hundred and even less because right. You know, as that whiskey lakes were identified, you know, the last thing you need uh, was distilleries producing spirit. Mm -hmm. You didn't need Cooper's repairing casks. So, you know, I, I, I was fortunate in the sense that, you know, through all these redundancies, uh, we ended up with, I think, two times set of Cooper's and about 14 apprentices, of which I was one of. Yeah was fortunate then to get kept on. And, and I think thereafter, the industry started to, to pick up. Mm -hmm. and, and I think probably in the last 15 years, it's great to see, you know, cooperages offering apprenticeships now to, to, to young people uh, to learn what is, you know, a fascinating craft. It's yeah. hard work, but it's very rewarding. But but it has changed in the way that we actually. There's a lot more automation uh, coming into it. Uh, it. The whole PBR side has moved. So you used to be paid by results. So the more casks you produced, the yeah. more money you earned. But you know through health and safety and various other uh, kind of legislations, that's kind of. Uh, kind of moved away from there. So you won't see that many Coopers driving their Panameras out of the Cooperage these days, is it? <laughs> I don't think so, no. no. Producing like, 27 casks a day, you know, bashing them out. <laughs> you know, there, there will be some, uh, and, 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 you know, it does take its toll, uh, you know, over the years. Uh, but, you know, it, I mean, it is, a, it is a physical, it is a physical job, but it is rewarding, I think, when you oh, look yeah. back maybe thinking, oh, you know, I've produced casks for these distilleries that have then matured that spirit that consumers are then drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So. All right. So what's the, the time served piece? So what the apprenticeship? How long is it? How long is it? 
to become a, a cooper? You know, what, what does that look like, that apprenticeship? Probably a fortnight now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it started off as five years. But uh, when I joined, it was four. So basically, you know, you, you could be assigned to uh, a tradesman who would teach you individually, or some of the companies actually had like schools, apprenticeship schools. So into your third year, so you would learn all about you know, <clears throat> coopering, what you're identifying as bad to replace, uh, you know, cutting in ends, everything else. And then in your third year, you then sat what was called the trade test. So you were assessed by somebody from the National Cooperage uh, Federation and, and somebody from the union <clears throat> on various aspects of skills that were involved. Mm -hmm. You then <clears throat> were given a certificate and that allowed you then to, to kind of work in your own. And then after your fourth year, you were a time set of Cooper. So that was the old kind of tarred and feathered. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there, was, there a, was there a kind of initiation at the end of all of that, that, that sort of a graduation ceremony, tarred, feathered, off you go, you know, you've made it, that kind of thing? Not, not quite the tarred and feathered, but there was that initiation period. That's yeah. right. We, we won't go into that, but yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> not allowed <laughs> it, these days. <laughs> it, it, well, you know, it, it, probably still, it probably still happened, but, but maybe not to the same extent. Mm. And, uh, and then... And then after that, you have the opportunity to obviously <clears throat> earn your own own salary. Yeah, so. yeah. And back then, you you were you were you paid per piece? Back then, then when you were producing a cask, you'd get a certain percentage or whatever it was the agreement was. Yeah, I mean that, that for, for for us at Edrington, that was that was right up until probably twenty twelve. You know, it so was, it, yeah, yeah, I remember because I remember I started in twenty twelve, and you had just changed your job in twenty twelve as well. And that was probably one of the last things you did, I suppose, moving over into the kind of brand world, I suppose, was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, you know, through, through that journey of, you know, an apprenticeship to a time self cooper, to becoming a foreman, supervisor, manager, <clears throat> and that was up until about 2012. Uh, and then they came along and asked that I wanted to become the master at Wood. I'm sure my colleagues thought it was more of the lump of wood rather than the master <laughs> of wood. <clears throat> but, we do, we do know. call you, we do call you Woody behind your back. You do know that. <laughs> if, if that's all you call me, then that's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's okay. That's acceptable. Totally. But uh, <clears throat> that was a part of still running the coupages, managing the coupages that we had in Scotland, and also that brand education piece that you kind of mentioned there. You know, really supporting uh, you know McAllen as a brand uh, about the influences and impacts that Wood had on the products that we were producing uh, <clears throat> and then and then in 2015 I was asked if I wanted to kind of well I set up the audit team we had to kind of set up an audit team in Hareth mm -hmm. really to work a lot more closer with our cast suppliers and seasoning bodegas on that kind of the influence and the impact that we'd had. Uh, so that, that was interesting. You know, that was a few interesting discussions that we had to have with some Yeah, suppliers. yeah. I, re I remember, I mean, I'd, I'd been out with you quite a few times over that period of time, that two years, 2014 to 16, something like that. And 
Uh, we went to the went to the cooperages, obviously sawmills, um, the bodegas themselves, even the even the forestry uh, spots and things. It was uh, oh, it was so insightful, and as as I'm sure it must have been for you because having been a cooper for so long, I know you guys. Uh, we're going to come on to this in a second. I know you guys had been over to Spain and things like that before for your uh, for your annual five aside football. Tournaments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, against the, against the Spanish Coopers, which um, I, I don't know how they end. I, I, what's the score? Have you, did you ever keep tally of how many times we, we got pumped, or was I, it? I, 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 I think they actually won about three games to one. I think. Three, it's got, aye, Scotland yeah. winning three one, was yeah, it? Yeah, right, yeah. Actually, actually quite a, a good team in a in our younger days. There was a number yeah. of us. Junior football, and a few whatever. ringers in, yeah. Never, never built a cask in their life. Just, just swept them over. It's fancy a trip to Spain. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, we'll, we can speak about that a little bit later. That was more the Spanish tactic, to be quite honest with you. You know, a uh, few ex Champions but, League players just dropping in for a game of fives. What's funny that? you should say that. Funny you should say that. <laughs> we, we, there was an occasion where we turned up. Uh, and this was all, this would have been about the early 90s. Uh, you know, 90, I think, was the first trip where we we approached the, the management team uh, that ran the Coop Bridge and we said, look, it's another opportunity that we could maybe go to Spain uh, as a part of, and we classed it as educational and recreational. Understood. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was more recreational than educational, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, but this would involve... Uh, football tournament <clears throat> so uh you are duly the suppliers all, all tucked up and uh you know it was, it was great it was you know uh, a good uh, relationship building between the suppliers and then and then one of the suppliers actually came over to, to scotland and we played them and i think we went no i think we went back again to, to spain Darrell. and here was this fresh-faced you know individual who we'd never seen before mm -hmm. so so uh my previous one of my previous bosses was, was george espy uh who you know was, was very much involved in spain and and, and for those who, who knew george he was very much a character <clears throat> yeah kind of life and soul of, of the party yeah yeah and, and then through traditional forum george had said uh, who's, who's this guy you know so uh Oh no no he he works in the office, really. So George, let's see your fingers. Have you got all your fingers? And, you know a Cooper. And, <laughs> and it transpired that this guy was was Piketty uh, Bagueras, who had uh, a cup winners medal with playing for Real Sociedad against Arsenal. Now that was the time when David Seaman was lobbed from the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy had about 10 caps for Spain. Okay, right. So he's not your average five-a-side football player from, no, from the Cooperage. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but, but, it, but in true Scottish tradition fashion, we kicked him off the park. Yeah. We, 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 saw, we saw him as being the kind of the kind of link pin between the, the, the team. So we, we duly took him out. Yeah. Uh, I think he played in another couple of games. I think one actually on one occasion wanted to play for us because we're, we're obviously we're the cleanest no uh, no no players but <laughs> you have to take these things into consideration <laughs> but they were, they, were, they were great relationship building you know? yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so part of the audit team that we set up was to kind of really 
kind of grow at, at that that relationship for them to understand what we were what we were wanting to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, because latterly it was about uh, it was really understanding about the influences that Wood had on both uh, flavour and, and colour. And, yeah. and the, just to kind of go back to the point you made, for me it was extremely fascinating because from learning a craft where it was making casks that you just wanted to get them out the door to then earn money, mm-hmm. to latterly then understand about this 360 degrees impact and influence and how important a cooper was yeah in the whole cast production process yes it's massive and it's 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 also huge as well this link with spain it's quite an unlikely partner in some ways when you think of where we are in the world and you think about the way that people live down in jerez and the the sort of surrounding towns um that make up the sherry triangle i mean you've spent a lot of time out there i mean you basically kind of co-lived there for a good few years and um you talk about guys like George as well, who I guess established a lot of these relationships back in the, the late seventies and early eighties and spent a huge amount of time out there. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating combination of cultures as well as technical expertise and stuff, which benefits the, the ultimate flavor of whiskey. But th- that must've been a, a really, really cool time in your career as well, having spent so much time on the tools and then, and actually getting out there towards the end of your career and, and forging and developing those relationships. I, I definitely. I mean, I mean that that would have all stemmed, you know, from hundreds of years ago. Uh, you know, when there was obviously sherry as as, as a fortified wine was very much a favourable drink. And I think you know we can maybe touch about that. But I, I think you know we don't give sherry wines the recognition that oh. they that they deserve. And I think we've had this discussion many many times. Mm-hmm. But I think when you historically when you look at uh, Sherry casks, that that whole uh, influence that Sherry had in, well, globally really, or, or certainly within Europe and, and the UK, that when these casks then arrived from Spain with Sherry in them, there was nowhere for these casks to go. And, and you know, the Scots being extremely frugal, uh, thought here's a great bargain realized that they did have an impact and an influence in in spirit maturation Mm -hmm. uh and and that kind of set the ball rolling from from having you know casks available to then the conseco regulador changing the regulations about you know transporting sherry wine in bulk and having a bottle so then looking at you know, casks being made to your own specification. Because that, that was in the 80s as well, wasn't it? That was 84 or 85 or something. Yeah, that so was, it's like, it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, so you've got the Whiskey Lakes and then you've got this change in legislation, which means that casks are no longer coming over in the same way they were. Um, so a lot of change in the 80s uh, and you kind of worked through that, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah but I think it's been great because obviously, you know, as Sherry's, because the sales of Sherry have declined, the, the spirits industry, I think very much led by the Scottish whisky industry, you know, came in, it began to support bodegas by by building new casks with seasoning wine. Uh, and I think that sometimes is, it's a separate discussion about, you know, sherry casks against sherry seasoned. And yeah. there's reasons why sherry seasoned casks are, are much more beneficial 
for the spirits industry. But I think they obviously brought security to the cooperages uh, within the regions, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they brought you know added security to the bodegas as well. To be honest, yeah, yeah, no, the, yeah, you can see that. I mean, when you, it's it's fascinating. You've you spent a lot of time over at Edrington. Uh, I was at Edrington, and I went to White Mackay, who own or owned by Fundador Bodegas. And, and we we were getting a lot of casks from Spain, but they were sherry bodega casks, not sherry seasoned casks. And it was quite interesting just seeing the differences that you do get, um, and and you know how you can how you can how you can optimize the output of the cask in different ways. Where you want an influence from wine that was in that cask before, or at Edrington, where the philosophy is is about the the wood, the quality of the oak, influencing the whiskey over a full maturation rather than a two year finishing period or something like that. Yeah, and I, I, for me, you know, personally, I think that's where maybe some of these sherry casks, the traditional sherry casks, would be able to offer, uh, you know, a support to a finished product. Mm-hmm. So if, if you were looking at potentially long-term maturation in a sherry cask, a traditional sherry cask, then I would question it because, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at casks that are, you know, 40 years plus, Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're inert vessels. I mean, basically... Yeah, yeah, the wood's, the wood's, the wood's not going to give you a huge amount, is it? And, and that, no. that might be okay for, like, a long maturation if, if, if you know, you're not looking for a huge amount of oak influence. But again, it, you don't know <laughs> until you fill the thing, right? That's the problem. It's, yeah, That's right. So so a lot of that, so latterly then, I was involved with a lot of kind of research, working with, uh, with the scientists, basically, and the labs teams on, on projects very much about spirit maturation and the influences and impacts that wood would have because because for us you know all of our products were naturally colored so so that there was very much an emphasis on wood and the quality of wood and toasting temperatures yeah yeah so so you as a as a cooper who's, who's gone through that whole change and you've ended up working on more the the output of the casks so you know quality in essence of, of whiskey um what would your uh, i've got a couple of questions for you favorite sherry what what sherry would you go for then what have you got in the fridge that you, you reach for regular are you allowed are you allowed no. to say that are you gonna upset a few guys in spain <laughs> no probably not I, I, you know, I think you know in the two or three days that we actually get as a summer in scotland yeah then it would it would be a fino or a manzanilla yeah. uh you know, but it but it would be in the fridge. You know, it wouldn't be sitting like your you know your nice display at the back of us here mm-hmm. on a back shelf. You know, it would be cold, served, chilled, uh, just like a wine. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I also like Paulo Cartados. I, I'm not a favor. I'm not a great favorite of PX. For, yeah, I'm not actually. So. Yeah, it, yeah. For me, it's too. It's too rich. It's too sweet for me to be honest with you but i suppose like whiskies you've got you know you can either have spirit that's influenced by american oak which is more lighter sweeter more vanilla as opposed to something that's kind of european oak that's more kind of spicy and rich and dried fruits and dried spices and everything else so i think the wines give you that opportunity as well i mean i love a lot also as well yeah yeah, yeah, no, Oloroso is very good. What about whiskey then? So you've made a lot of casks, looked after all the wood for McAllen, but also Highland Park and also Glenrothes as well. Um, 
Glen Turret for a period of time too. So what would the, if you were only allowed one bottle um, from the, the the whiskies you've you've worked on over the years, which one would you reach for? Oh, come on, Darrow, it's, you know, uh, probably Highland Park 25. Oh, I, right. I, as a McAllen nice. master, I've wooed. I hope, I hope this hasn't been broadcasted too far, too <laughs> far afield. <laughs> Everyone that works on McAllen always says Highland Park's their favourite. Anyway, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> That's I, do you funny. Know what? I, I think there's so many great whiskies out there. And I think yeah. they all lend themselves for great discussions about what people like, what they dislike. Uh, you know, I'm not a favourite of peated whiskies. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's just my palate. Uh, yeah anything else but you know it's uh i think that it's a great conversation uh builder to be honest with yeah you. I, you know i think like you being involved in the industry we've 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 been very very fortunate to to sample some fantastic products uh and i think that's the difficult part to actually pin it on one specific bottle yeah, and I think there's an emotional thing here as well. I'm drinking double cask, twelve year old, which we worked on uh, together. The whole launch of it, I remember, mm-hmm. and we were traveling around the world, um, sharing this story. And and you would you would deliver the the story of the wood, and and I would just you know chuck a few tasting notes about and uh, <laughs> make, make it look like I knew what I was talking about. And and actually, I remember it like it was yesterday because it was a big deal at the time. And and it, and actually, it was in the core range, really bringing that whole story to life because it wasn't just about European oak. And I think that was a story maybe that people had had wanted to hear most of the time. But actually, American oak uh, sherry casks are fabulous. They're, they're, they're my favourite cask type. You talk about Highland Parks. My favourite Highland Parks are often matured in these beautiful American oak sherry casks. And you go to any bodega, 99% of the casks in that in that bodega are American oak. Very few will be European oak, right? Exactly. And I think that's the misperception that people have that, okay, it's, uh, it's well, obviously Spain's in Europe, they're using casks, must be European oak. But you're, you're spot on. The vast majority of these casks are, are ex-American because they don't want these tannins, you know, leaching into, into their new wines. So they want something that's going to be less reactive. And that's why then they want inert vessels as well. Yeah. So, you know, they don't want their new wines put into new casks, basically. Yeah. So that, that, but the part of it is for us in sherry seasoning is that against bourbon is that if... Uh, so you've got American oak that's ex-bourbon and you've got American oak that's ex-sherry. Now... If you were looking at probably spirit development, you would be favouring sherry seasoned American oak because you're using a lower ABV wine. Now, normally it is all the Rossos that's around about 18% ABV. So the larger vessels with a lower ABV wine is then going to, although it will take some extractors out of the wood, It'll, it'll probably remove maybe some of that astringency and bitterness that you would associate, but it then allows that new mate spirit to interact more right. with, with the elements of the wood, whereas bourbon, for example, is smaller casks, higher ABV. You've then got the casks charred as yeah. opposed to toasted, and that has an influence in itself mm-hmm. because obviously the char 
is is acting as a carbon filter. Now, yeah. with carbon using at least 51% maize, it's quite sulfury maize as a cereal. So that, that char acts as a carbon filter. So, you know, these are one of the reasons why the Americans are producing and manufacturing casks for what they require. And, and then we're doing the same really with, in, in, in the same aspect with, with Sherry. Um, yeah, because it does. I mean, that's the thing. When you when you started off, you're, you're on the tools, you're building it, and it's it's technical in a different way. It's a trade. You know, you're, you're actually dealing with the, the nature of the wood and what you need to do with it, either to repair it or to construct a cask. I guess where you've ended up is much more on that, like, technical side is, you know, the difference between a toast and a char, the difference between a species of American oak versus European oak. Well, what's a European oak? You know, it's Quercus Robur, is, is it Cecile, Pidunculata? You, you're going into big, big rabbit holes with each of those topics. And actually, a lot of this is quite new. I, I think people had a feel for it, but it was never documented probably in, in the way that you guys have done in the last 10 years. I mean, ultimately, your role as a master of wood was to was to go and investigate all that stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, when people talk about French oak, they talk about Spanish oak. You know, I, I do kind of have a slight kind of laugh because, you know, yes, these trees are in Spain and in France, but they're, as you say, you know, the three main dominant species are Quercus alba, which is American white oak, or you've got its European relations, which are Rover or Petrea. Mm -hmm. uh, but geographically, you'll have pockets where you'll have uh, more of a continuity uh, of maybe Petrea. So when people talk about French oak, if, if you probably look to southwest France, uh, down around about the limousine region, where it's very, very much kind of cognacs, mm -hmm. that, that is very much Quercus roba. But if you then go to, say, central France uh, and northern France, that becomes then Petrea. Yeah. But, and, and then similarly, you know, along northern Spain, uh, this, and, and towards kind of Galicia, it's more European. Uh, is Roba. Yeah. But you then look at, you know, Hungary, Ukraine, uh, Romania. These are more kind of uh, European Quercus Roba driven. And, 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 and so then you look at the, kind of the whole, uh, the, the tannin of, of these particular species of timber that then will have an impact and an influence on what you're, you, what you're looking for. So this is where uh, it is very much about the quality of the wood, the species of the wood, but also then the toasting temperatures. Because if yeah. you don't have enough heat into that particular wood, then you're not starting to back break down some of the chemical compounds that will add some of these, you know, flavour characteristics and colour. I mean, I, we can also we can we can alter flavor and we can also alter color yeah. by changing temperatures, toasting yeah. temperatures. Brilliant. Okay, that's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, there's a lot there's a lot there. I mean, I mean, how do you now that you're uh, you've hung your boots up? How what what are you going to do with your time now that you're not going to train brand ambassadors and sales guys and internal people all, all these businesses about oh, what, what's happening next? Do you know, I, I, do you ever 
do you ever kind of walk away from the industry? Probably not. And you know, I've, I've had obviously a few inquiries about you know what am I going to do, and I think you know I, I will do a bit of consultancy because I do think that there is a value in the whole education piece about yeah. the influence. I mean, people, you know, new distilleries are being built on a regular basis. Uh, and obviously you need casks uh, to fill. But I think it's it's trying to understand what that distiller, what, what type of spirit that distiller's trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, what's coming off the stills? What, what kind of wood species would be best suited for maybe what that brand's trying to uh, kind of manufacture? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so kind of, I suppose, supporting people uh, along that way about how you can help them and, and point them in the right direction. Uh, and I, I think about a bit of, of, uh, a bit of R&R, kind of yeah. around the golf courses, you know. And, uh, you need to get back to, uh, in, in Jerez, get back to Il Parati and practice some of that karaoke as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, singing's not one of my forties. I, I know, I know. <laughs> That no, we were never a duet. That was for sure. No, that was... no, 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 different. <laughs> uh, I think we're too similar, too noisy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of more of that rock kind of music that we have to try it with. Yeah, like, yeah. Just sing any kind of words to be honest with you. That's true. But uh, no, my, you know, I still, I will still go back to uh, uh, you know, on a on a regular basis. I think, mm. you know. I, I, you know, I made a lot of friends in Hareth, built up a lot of relationships uh, from the business side of it. And I still think there was part of that about educating the Spaniards about what people are trying to, what they would like out of a cast rather than people perceiving. So yeah. I think it's building these relationships between distillers companies uh, and uh, cast manufacturers and, and seasoning, but it but it is becoming difficult. You know, it's wood prices are increasing significantly. We've got you know the challenges of uh, wines, uh, you know, having the volume of wines available as well. So uh, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, definitely not. It's brilliant to get an insight into it as well from yourself. Obviously, so much experience um, and knowledge. And tons of it to share, and you you always uh, you always make it sound so much more interesting as well. And I know it's interesting anyway. Obviously, the connection with Scotland and Spain, um, but hearing always like you always pick up a couple of more things from you. You know when you're when you get going. So thanks so much for joining us, mate. Much appreciated. And I guess if anyone's listening that hasn't been over to Jerez to see some of the bodegas or even the cooperages and, and things, it's the I, I still think it's probably the best drinks trip. That you can do you know it's it's a special special place it's obviously it means a lot to you and i've been really lucky as well i've been over a lot and i, and I still go over uh, my, own, my own time i went on a golf trip and as you know i don't play golf and i went i went to malaga and, I, and rather than playing golf i just drove to jerez <laughs> and I, I caught up with manolo and kenny and stuff like that and they took us around the bodegas cooperages and stuff and it's a it's a pleasure every single time and it's it's always good to see you mate yeah. yeah, well, there's a business opportunity. Maybe we should start, you know, Daz and Stu uh, kind of Hareth tours or something like that. that. that that's uh, it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that sounds uh, good. Yeah. Do you know what? I, th- I think you're right because uh, people, you know, they have this perception that sherry is obviously kind of an older generation drink, but I think it's it's much of that education to for people to enjoy it. 
and you know what's the right way, when's the right occasions. Uh, but certainly a place. It's a fantastic part of the country. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely. Fantastic food, wines, and just a culture. A lot of history. Oh, definitely. Look, we'll get back out there soon for a sherry. I look forward to it, mate. Thanks so much. I'll hold you to that then, Darrell. That legend. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> Cheers, <laughs> Cheers. Okay. Take care.